Counting by Sevens by Holly Goldberg Sloan. As you listen to today's read aloud podcast, please think about what role you have in our discussion for Friday. If you need to have a notebook or sketchbook nearby to write or draw notes to help you remember questions you might have or vocabulary words you're describing or a summary of the text that you're looking to provide, please go gather those now. Chapter 51. Dell pulled into the parking lot. There wasn't a place for him, for his car, for his always now sore from exercising body. After circling the lot in frustration, he lined up in front of the only available spot he could find. It was tiny, crowded on one side by a school district van, and on the other by the chain-link fence that wrapped around the entire property. Dell stepped on the gas, intent on inching slowly ahead. Instead, his foot slipped. Every hair on his body stood on end at the sound of metal on metal at the fence post, dug as the fence post dug a crease along the entire right side of his vehicle. Dell cut the engine as she shouted and swore and pounded his fist, which hurt because he accidentally hit the dashboard instead of the upholstery. He found himself thinking of Willow. She would have told him before he went forward that the space was too small. She would have calculated the mass or the distance or figured out something. Dell pushed the thought of the girl out of his mind and opened the door. He was faced with another harsh reality. Even though he'd almost taken out the fencing along the passenger side, he was still so close to the van next to him that he doubted he could get out of his car. He'd just have to make this work. Wasn't that what life was now teaching him? Dell gritted his teeth and got his left leg and then hip out. But his tummy, even angled and sucked in, was a real problem. Hoping for the best, he let his belly go. It pushed in all directions, and the edge of his car door dug straight into the side of the neighboring van. Another metal-on-metal sound. He stared wide-eyed at the damage. That van panel was like cardboard. Dell slammed his door shut and took off in a, run, in a run away from the scratched metal crime scene. But as he made his way through the rows of cars, a dark mass leaped from behind a tire and slithered right between his wobbly legs. Dell felt the fur touch his ankles and he shrieked like a startled child. Inside the low brick building that housed most of the administration, he could see heads suddenly appear in windows. Dell dropped down to the asphalt to shield himself from the peeping professionals. And that's when he got a close-up look at the creature formerly known as Cheddar. The cat was thin and mangy with one hairless ear and a chunk missing from his now crooked tail. But the animal was more than scarred and dirty. He was frantic and desperate. Cheddar arched his back and in an attempt to appear fierce showed his spiky teeth as his pale green eyes turned dark jade. A chill ran up Dell's spine. 
He had adopted Cheddar, and then he'd let the animal fend for himself in a parking lot. He had not made a single attempt to rescue him. Dell stared into the eyes of the frightened feline, and something clicked. He had to take more responsibility for his actions. He'd start with the cat. Cheddar, Dell grabbed Cheddar by the scruff of the neck and was surprised at how easy it was to get control of the animal. Cheddar was not a feral cat. He'd been brought up with the touch of a human hand, and he seemed perfectly happy to get back in the company of a man with possible access to canned food. Dell crossed the lot back to his car, and then he squeezed himself and Cheddar into his vehicle. Cheddar jumped into the back as Dell started the engine. He could hear a new sound now. It was low but distinct. The cat was purring under his seat. Dell reversed out of the parking spot, and curiously, this time, the fence post didn't even touch his vehicle. Dell dropped off Cheddar at the vet on Central Avenue with instructions for a flea bath and a full exam. He'd pick up the animal at the end of the day. He then returned to the school district offices and this time parked on the street and walked two blocks. He then went straight to the main office and reported damaging the van. It turned out the school district had insurance and the woman told him not to worry. Dell went to his office with a spring in his step. Maybe it was the running. He'd lost almost 15 pounds. Or maybe it was knowing that he'd done right by Cheddar. Chapter 52. The cat is back. It's very big news around here, at least to me. Sadhu is allergic, so Cheddar is going to live with us in number 28. For now. I'm obsessed with this cat, and it's working out because Cheddar is sort of obsessed with me, or at least very interested, which, in the world of felines, counts as obsessive behavior. The cat sleeps on my bunk of the Semper Fi beds, tucked inside the curl of my body. He wheezes once he's really asleep. When I got, get up early to go to the bathroom, I see the cat move his crooked tail in his sleep. His paws twitch. He's running. I would like to see those dreams. Cheddar waits on the ledge of the front window for me to come home from the salon in the afternoon. Or maybe he just enjoys the view, but it certainly looks like he sits with a sense of expectation. I have my life savings in a metal box under my bed. I have tried to contribute each week for food costs. I think of it as a reverse allowance, but Patty refuses to accept the money. I try to get Dell to take some, and he also says no. His no isn't as solid as her no, but he gets his point across. So today is the first time I am spending any of my cash. I go to the pet store on 7th Street. I pick out a lime green breakaway safety cat collar. It is highly reflective and glows in the dark. I pay an extra $2 to have cheddar seared into the bendable plastic. I add Patty's phone number, not Dell's, for emergencies. I also insist that the collar have a bell. Cats in the wild do so much destruction to the bird population. But I think that if Cheddar has his ways, the cat will never set foot on anything but carpet for the rest of his life. I've left the door open, and he has no interest in even investigating the hallway in our building. Once I get back to the apartment and Cheddar has been outfitted with the new collar, Kwang Ha complains about what he calls the annoying ringing. 
but even he has to admit that the cat, with the hairless ear and the crooked tail, is in his own way sort of inspiring. Dell and I talk about practical things now in my weekly sessions. I have two concerns. I am anxious, of course, about finding a legal guardian. And I'm constantly thinking about what to do once the sunflowers are finished. The plants have grown in these last few weeks, and they have bloomed. Kuang Ha's is the tallest. It reached almost seven feet. I think everyone in the building has really appreciated the spectacle. A few people have complained about the bees, but it's impossible to please everyone. Now, these plants are on the downside of their life cycle. I need to think about what to do once they are removed. If you slice off part of the most established plants, this mature plant can be thought of as the parent, and you nurture this severed portion. It will grow. It is also called a cutting. I have no real resources that I can think of because my life savings doesn't add up to much to landscape the large area of soil in the courtyard. I told the bank that we had a plan, and I presented the drawings that were submitted, but that was hypothetical, and this is reality. I'm going to need to take life from what I can find in the neighborhood around me in Bakersfield to landscape this place. I start small. A basket, scissors, wet paper towels to keep my clippings moist, I have a few smaller cuttings taking root and water glasses by the window, but I, I need to think bigger. Dell drives me to the South Side Plant Nursery on Saturday, and we buy rooting hormone and three large bags of potting soil. While we're there, I see Henry E. Pollock. He runs the place. I've known this guy since I was very young. He and my dad used to talk about football, and he gave us discounts for years. I've looked at fungus and insect infestations for him in the plant. I've looked at fungus and insect infestations for him in the past, and I've given advice on grafting limbs on fruit trees. I'm in the back checking out their new Pittosporum tenifolium, and I catch sight of Dell talking to Henry in the corner. It looks sort of serious, which makes me nervous. In the car, I asked Dell what they were whispering about, and he says, Henry wanted to know how you were doing. People people are uncomfortable asking a kid that question, so they ask adults. But those adults, a lot of times, have no clue about the answer. I look out the window and all the plants growing in people's gardens and get lost in that. But later at the spotlight, I say, I'm trying not to put down permanent roots. That's probably what you should tell people like Henry. Kwang Ha is on the couch watching a TV show about a guy who drives around the country in a convertible, eating bacon cheeseburgers. May is looking at a catalog for swimsuit enthusiasts. Dell is clipping his beard into a paper bag to keep the bits from flying around the room. Cheddar is asleep. Patty is at the salon. She has been staying late more often now. I worry about that, but she doesn't like anyone to question her schedule. I come into the living room and explain my plan, which is for us to drive around town and take small cuttings from interesting plants. Kwang Ha doesn't look at me, but manages to stay. Wouldn't that be stealing? I'm encouraged. At least I have his attention. This is an interesting question. 
If we were on someone's private property, we would be trespassing, and that's breaking the law. Kuang Ha then mumbles something that I can't understand, so I continue. Plants are people's property, but what if the plant extends into the area of the sidewalk? What if we are on public property, such as a park or a library or a state building? <coughs> Excuse me. Kuang Ha keeps his eyes on the television and says, What if you move to the left? You're blocking part of the TV. I take a step to the side. Silence. Only the television and the sounds of Dell struggling to clip his shockingly wiry facial hair. And then Kuang Ha says, Just take stuff out of people's green trash cans. The work will already be done for you. I look at him now with admiration. Kuang Ha's mother is the hardest worker that I've ever seen, and she has passed on to her son a unique quality. He understands labor in a different way. If he's not interested in doing something, he will do anything to get out of doing it. I mean it when I say to him, Kuang Ha, you may very well have a future career in management. As if to drive home his point, he says, if there are any ice cream bars in the freezer, I'll take one. There have never been ice cream bars in the freezer, but now I will buy a box at the first opportunity. And that concludes our reading of Counting by Sevens. Please make sure to take any notes that you need in order to participate in Friday's discussion, whether it be your vocabulary words, your questions, or a summary of everything we have read thus far.